Psalm 122 today. Uh, my text comes from that psalm, and uh, uh, I believe this is the last in the series this morning. Um, don't hold me to that, but anyway, uh, I want to just uh, share with you, because this psalm is special. Uh, this psalm was written by King David. He was the shepherd boy who became, of course, the second king of Israel, and uh, he became quite a famous king. A lot of wonderful things happened. And through his uh, his uh, rule and uh, uh, rulership, I suppose. And uh, Psalm uh, 122 is a psalm written by David because it shows us something that was very close to his heart. And he, he talks in this psalm about the house of God, and um, and and it's a it's a psalm that's titled "Song of Ascent." And as a lot of you would already know, this is the kind of songs, or this is the song the Jewish people would sing as they ascended up onto the hill where Jerusalem is built and so that's why it's called Song of Ascent because they ascended up and uh, as they would go they would sing this song. This song was not a one-hit wonder uh, I'm about to read to you but it was a song they would sing on these occasions at least three times a year and uh, we were talking about the revival of the church this morning. Uh, as you read this psalm I don't know if you can get a sense of it but David is excited about the opportunity to go to God's house. He's excited to meet with other people. He's excited to gather in, in corporate worship at the temple in Jerusalem. I've had the opportunity to be there at the Temple Mount where they believe the temple was uh, um, built. It's not there anymore. Um, something else is there, but certainly the foundations of that temple are there. And so David's excited because he was the one who established uh, God's house. If you remember, they used to worship God in the thing called the tabernacle that was set up when they were traveling through the desert for 40 years, coming out of captivity out of Egypt, they wanted to come to the promised land, but they needed a place for God's presence to dwell. And so they made a tabernacle. It was, um, it was um, uh, demountable. And so they'd set it up when they camped in the middle of the camp, over a million people. God's presence would be there. Then they'd pack it up and they'd travel on until they came into the promised land. Then they established something permanent. And they, David called it the house of God. It was the temple. Uh, the early Christians actually uh, kind of referred to it then it became known as the church after this uh, the uh, acts chapter four uh sorry that this is a bit of history but it's exciting because it leads up Acts chapter four and um then the, the early christians used to call it church um and it, over 120 times the church is mentioned maybe not just the word but it's certainly referred to and so we established so i suppose we still call it the what the church and the church is not this uh, mortar and bricks, is it? The church is you this morning. It's what you are. And uh, as excited as David was about going up into the house of God, I suppose uh, God is excited when his people gather together. And I think we should too, because there's some things that happen. There's some things that definitely can happen when we gather together. And uh, it's not exclusive to gathering together, but it's but it certainly does happen. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the reality of, uh, uh, in actual fact, I'm going to talk about four pillars of this church, four pillars of this church, which are actually four pillars of your life. And it all comes, it all is described here in this psalm. So let's dive into it straight away. And the first thing, I, oh, should we read it? I did say we we're going to read it, did I? Uh, psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, just imagine David writing, I was glad. It, it, it's a loaded uh, thought. I was excited. I was excited. 
when they said, let's go up to the house of the Lord. It's like David was saying, you know, I get glad about a lot of things, but I was really glad when they said, let's go to church. How were you this morning? (laughs) Oh, no, church. (laughs) Anyway, I'm stirring you. Verse 2, our feet were being, uh, our feet had been standing within the gates of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and, and brethren and companions, I will now say, but peace be within you. I love that. Peace be in your walls and peace be in your you know, palaces, but ultimately the peace has always got to be in here. Hey, it's more than just a building, it's got to be in here. Um, because of the house of the Lord, the last verse 9, the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. Okay, uh, some of that can seem a little random when we re- read that and we think, what does it really say? But let me break it down for a moment this morning and uh, let's uh, take off in this section. So the first thing of what uh, the house of God should be like what is church be like, I believe, is found in verse 1 because it says, I was, I was what? I was, come on, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of God. David's all excited because they used to go three times a year, particularly. Uh, so three times a year, they'd go up and celebrate a festival. And uh, in these times, uh, all the people from around the nation of Israel would journey towards Jerusalem and they'd be singing these songs. And as they sing, they'd build, the, 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 the atmosphere would be building. And as they got closer, they'd be joining with other people on the roads going up to Jerusalem until it all was a crescendo there at the, at the temple in Jerusalem. And they'd start to worship and praise and sing. And uh, it was just a, a wonderful time. And David was excited about that. He says, I was glad it's going to be another time, one of the three times that they would come for these feasts. And so, uh, so it says, uh, uh, it speaks of gladness, doesn't it? I was glad. So the first thing the church should be like is a place, I want to tell you, this is what uh, the world sometimes lacks in. And the world sometimes has a false sense of this. But the, the church, or you, should be a place of joy. A place of joy. Uh, and the world would want to give you a false joy, a ha-ha happy joy. But I want to tell you there's more to it than that. Uh, because the Bible says in Psalm 1611, in God's presence, in His presence, there can be fullness of joy. Uh, there's fullness of joy. I mean, I, I think we make a decision whether we're going to take that on board, but it's in His presence and wherever His presence is. And if we ultimately know that His presence can dwell in the house of God, ultimately in the temple in Jerusalem, but His presence now dwells within us, doesn't it? So we see uh, that God wants to see His church as a place of joy. In fact, God desires for us to have a joy-filled life. Okay? Now, uh, hang in there with me, because you might be saying this morning, uh, you're, not, you're not talking my language today. i got everything but joy at the moment. But hang in there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 says, Rejoice what? Always. It says rejoice always. And then it says pray without ceasing and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. There we go. There's things that are God's will. There's things that are specifically God's will for you today. And you know what? Paul isn't writing here to an individual. He's writing to a whole bunch of people like us in a church called Thessalonia. And he's saying, you know what? I want you to rejoice always. Uh, The church of God can be a place of true joy because in his presence there's going to be fullness and great joy. It can be that. You may be 
saying, as I've mentioned already, that uh, you know, um, my circumstances do not kind of relate to joy at the moment. Uh, the pressures and the struggles I'm facing right now, don't put a smile on my face at all. Uh, can I be as bold to say, I know, um, I want you to know that joy has got little to do with your circumstances. Little to do with, because if, if I, if, if I um, how I felt was determined by everything going wrong in my life right now, uh, um, the truth is there could never be sometimes joy. There would never be joy. Uh, because circumstances want to crowd your heart and your mind. That's a reality. Uh, look, I'm not dismissing those at all. That happens and it will continue to happen. But I want you to know that, that you don't have to have, you don't have, to have joy according to your circumstances. You can have joy despite your circumstances, despite what's happening. You say, is that really possible? Is it really possible? I want to tell you it's possible in the most real and practical ways. It's possible. Because uh, I'm a firm believer that uh, the joy of the Lord in our lives actually makes for a better human being. It actually creates a better mindset. I, I think it actually calms the anxiety. It brings down the emotions. It brings down the stress level. I think joy, God's presence through the, the atmosphere of joy, uh, can do something incredibly positive in our lives. And then, then it manifests as a person, you're able to deal with life and circumstances so much better. So I, I'm firm believer. See, Paul said, as he said, he said to the Thessalonian church, rejoice always. And the word always actually means, if you were to give it a little bit more um, clarity, it means at all times. At all times. But not every time is worthy of a joy response. Um, God gives us a wonderful tool, but in this joy, it, to put joy in our hearts. And, uh, and I've found that tool, you've found that tool, uh, you could identify the tool that God has given you today uh, to actually put, uh, to put some joy in your heart. And it's a really simple tool. It's called praise. You're doing it this morning, I hope. Because I do know that you can be in the building and not praise. <laughs> you can mouth the words, uh, but it's a different thing to actually give Him the praise. Hey, uh, sometimes you've got to, en to engage not just the mind, but the heart as well. And we've got to praise can I be is can I say this is sometimes when everything is not the time to, to have joy you don't feel like it you don't that everything is unfolding it's not positive there's no no need to have a smile on your face I want to say that's the time can I be as bold as to say you need to practice some joy you say practice that doesn't sound very spontaneous no it's deliberate because the word of God says you've got to you've got to rejoice always if you're going to rejoice always through your life is a, a set of ups and downs. There's good times. There's more difficult times. But, you know, if you're going to have, and it says rejoice all the way through that, you're going to have to sometimes when it's down, you're going to have to say, you know what? I'm just going to practice some joy right now. I'm just going to give him praise anyway. I'm just going to praise him anyway. I, I'm just going, I'm not going to hold back, even de de determined by my feelings today or how, how my day is unfolding you know, I got out of the, you know, the wrong side of bed today, but I'm still going to give him, you know what, because the truth is I'm in a little bit of a valley, but there's going to come a mountain. So I'm going to praise him here, because if I can't praise him here, I probably will never praise him when I'm up here. <laughs> In actual fact, I found some of my best praise has been down here. I was, I, was I, I probably told this story, but, you know, 
It's okay. Let me remind you again of some of my incredible little things that happened in my life. Um, I'm sure God sets it up just so I can, you can preach about, you know, 35 years later about these things. But anyway, I was 20 and I was, I was friendly with a girl in this church. And uh, we'd been friends for a while and, you know, it was going okay. But we both come to a mutual understanding that we're kind of going to go different directions. So we mutually had a conversation and we broke it up. And there's a little bit of emotion in that. But, you know, we're both pretty good about it. And we went our separate ways. And, you know, I was doing okay until a month later I found she was actually messed with another guy who was my good friend in this church. That's a bit difficult, isn't it? Okay. Just believe me then. So I, 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 I was a little torn by that, and I didn't quite know how to handle that. And, and so the emotions are going around in my heart and mind. And, and I knew that I needed to just, you know, forgive, forgive. And look, the truth is, I'm no angel either. And she probably, in, in, in that, that separating, there was things that, you know, we, we both agreed that we hadn't been perfect on. And so I acknowledged that. But now I thought, why did you do that? Was there nothing in our friendship for that little bit of length of time that you would now pop on over to someone else within a month? Was there, was there nothing of any, you know, woe is me? Was there nothing? Did it mean nothing to you? And look, it didn't. It did mean something. But the truth is, I was a little bit woe is me. I was, you know, uh, ashes on my head and, you know, all that type of thing. And so I'm driving down. I remember the road where it was. I'm driving down what is presently now uh, the Night Owl Center. And I was coming down towards what presently in, in was there, Kentucky Fried Chicken. As I'm driving down, I said, God, I don't like this. I don't, uh, I feel upset about this situation. But God, you know what? I, I just think that maybe I just need to say thank you and praise you anyway. I don't want to do this. And I started to praise him. I said, God, I praise you. And the tears started to flow. And I thought, praise God, the windows are up. Because I started I was, I started to get emotional and cry out. I said, God, I just praise you anyway. I just praise you anyway. I just praise you anyway. Everybody hates me, but I just praise you anyway. You know what I'm saying. We're, it's like, you know, we're really down on ourselves and the world is a mess. And, and it's really not. But anyway, I started to praise him. And by the time, um, from the top of the hill, by the time I got to Kentucky Fried Chicken, I wanted to be honest with you presence of God entered that car more than anything he entered my life and he just in a moment flicked the switch in my life and and I felt all the emotion drain out of me and all the attitude drain out of me and all the woe is me drain out of me and all the you know um the, the you know the attitudes that I had and and forgiveness flowed you know I was at that same young lady's wedding who married my good friend and I was at the wedding and I was there, one of the ushers at their wedding service. And I was there clapping and rejoicing with them. You know why I could do that? It's because there's a God who can heal the hearts. And it's amazing. He wants to bring joy in your life no matter what the circumstances. But you just sometimes got to practice a little bit of joy by praising Him. Because it's amazing. You may start in the natural sometimes. I just praise you. I just praise you, God. It's amazing how we can flip over to that sense of His presence and just do a work in our lives. Because naturally nothing will ever happen, but spiritually something can shift when we start to praise Him and just let joy flow in the most difficult of circumstances. Are you convinced today? David was. Because he said, you know what, I was glad when they said, let's go up to the house of the Lord. I think if there's one thing about the body of Christ, one of the pillars of the church or the pillars of your life, has got to be the fact that you're willing to rejoice always, have the joy, let joy be in your life and he can provide it secondly 
Psalm 122, verses 2 to 4 says, Our feet, David says, have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. I love this. Note that it says in verse 4, the tribes go up. As I already mentioned to you, all the tribes, 12 tribes of Israel would travel up to Jerusalem three times a year. Different Passover was one week, Passover week. Um, the Feast of Weeks was another, and the Feast of Tabernacles was the third. And they would go up, and it wasn't just one person and one, you know, one family go up, and then they have their turn, and another, they, they go home, another family goes up, or another. No, it was everybody together, flowing together. So the second thing about the house of God, his church, it's a place of gathering. It's a place of gathering. Church is not an individual thing. I am not the church. We are the church. We are his, when we gather, we're his church. I'm not, it's, I'm not doing church when I'm at home with my Bible and my devotion. That's me and God. But church is when we come together. It's the gathering of people. Just like in uh, David's time. Um, the second chapter of Acts, there's a lot of descriptions about what the church looked like. And in second chapter of Acts, verse 46, it says this, they continued daily with one accord in the what? In the temple. It might be up there. And breaking bread, Acts 2, 46. I mightn't have marked that one, sorry. But, but it says this, you know, one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house. There you go. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Acts chapter 2, 46. Notice this, the meeting in the temple, that's where they all caught up with each other. At other times, they would share a meal together in their homes. Okay, so I, very clearly, I just see it very simply. It's like church together, and then there's small groups through the week to encourage each other. But there was the corporate time of being together. And some people's ecclesiology tend to get twisted. Um, sorry, ecclesiology is, is simply the theology around the nature and structure of the church. But, uh, so don't get caught up in that word. But, but these people knew and they established it there right when the church was birthed. So they used to meet at the temple. They used to meet, you know, three times a year. They used to meet in their synagogues. We'll talk about that. But then they realized, you know, there's this, they changed it from synagogue. They would come to the synagogue now. It was a gathering. And after the Holy Spirit had fallen, and uh, you'll see the church then took on an incredible, uh, greater passion for one another. They cared for each other. They divided their food together. They shared together. The church of God rose up. Do you know there's incredible, there's another psalm in this, Songs of Ascent, Psalm 133. And the word of God says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters, what? Dwell together in unity. In unity. There's something powerful when people get together, his church. God knew that. If we're all isolated and individuals, we'd never be a, a, a force. But together, uh, we can be a force in this world. There's power. In. And so that's what uh, David is talking about. They gathered every tribe together. Um, do you know, I was in Israel, and, um, you know, I went to the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But when I went out into the uh, highways and byways of Israel and Judea, I found that uh, in the little towns around uh, this area, especially around the uh, Sea of Galilee, there was little synagogues that they're just only discovering still, where people would gather together in, in their little synagogue once a week for fellowship. Can I, let me show you a couple pictures. There was one in Capernaum. You know, Capernaum presently isn't a city, it's just a ruin. 
it was a famous place. Peter was a fisherman, had his house there. His mother-in-law was healed there by Jesus. Uh, and so Capernaum is there. And I went to Capernaum and there's a picture here. Can you see that picture? Um, actually, that's a picture. Uh, that's a picture of the, the, the synagogue at Capernaum. That's where Jesus literally preached. Um, just up there, uh, the altar is gone. But about um, the second guy taking a picture with his iPhone, about literally a meter and a half is where there would have been the altar where Jesus would have read the scriptures from. There you go. There's a place. But you know what? The good thing is you don't worship that spot. It just, uh, it's just a spot. But uh, Jesus was there. Uh, this guy in the foreground is our guide. He was a born-again Arab. <laughs> so, uh, brilliant. Anyway, um, so that's the... That's the uh, well, I was really enthralled to see that people just didn't go to Jerusalem to worship. They would worship in their communities. I went to another place called Magdala. Magdala was named after Mary Magdalene. And um, it's a ruin as well. Um, but uh, they, the, uh, they, built this, they were building a motel there. And in 2009, as they started to dig the foundations, they found a synagogue under the, under the dirt. And here it is here. This is a very small synagogue. Um, and here's all the tourists. And they've built a shelter over the top of it because they, they don't want it to be destroyed anymore by the weather. And uh, this is the synagogue. It's very small. You can see in the middle on the far bottom left is a little kind of altar. It's called the Magdala Dome. It's very famous because it's got inscriptions on it. And this date back like thousands of years, you know. So anyway, this is they, they discovered this, this synagogue. And there they were in Magdala. Magdala is on the, right on the uh, Sea of Galilee as well. And uh, it's a beautiful little town. It used to be, it's now uh, just a ruin. But I was excited because the folks, all of that kind of speaks to me about the importance of the people gathering together, gathering in unity. It was God's plan for his church. It's, your, it's his plan for you. I think the church is his plan. Amen. Uh, Jesus actually said this, you know what, I'm going to build my church and even the gates of hell shall not prevail. And hasn't that been the case over the centuries? Uh, we've seen people rise up. Let's squash the Christian uh, church or let's destroy all its uh, uh, texts like the Bible. They could never do that. God has upheld it. And that promise, I will build my church and the gates, even the gates of hell will not prevail, let alone other organizations. So I was glad, um, uh, David said, we went up to the house of the Lord because the tribes gathered there. You know, um, last year we had three months of no church and um, I was thankful that for our team, incredible effort put together the worship, um, you know, and the preaching and you'd watch it on television um, and I did too every week. And it was great to engage with you if you went onto the online chat and you're able to say, you know, and we're able to engage that way. But I tell you what, can I really be honest? It was a poor substitute, not because of the people who were on stage doing what they were doing, but it's just because I was with no one else but my lovely wife and my, my daughter, but it just didn't feel <laughs> like church. <laughs> That's just me. But I tell you, there was two times I got really excited. It was the time I went to a family with a couple of little kids and we were able to watch television and do church together and these two little kids were dancing and enjoying the praise and worship. And I thought, oh, this is so good. It's just a little taste of what I'm missing. That gathering, that connection, that encouragement. And the second time is when um, um, Simone and Steve, my daughter and son-in-law, and their children come over and we together worship together in my lounge room. Oh, 
and it was right towards the end of the three months and I was like hanging out. I was just needing someone to talk to. Father, y- y- it's cruel. You want to kill me? Just put me in isolation, I tell you. Um, anyway, I mean, there was so... C- one Sunday, I went for a run trying to find someone to talk to. I ended up at Andrew and Sue's. I did ring them before, just so I didn't barge in. But I, I sat in their dining room all sweaty. <laughs> I said, and I just want to talk. <laughs> I just need to talk to someone. But, you know, fellowship, that's what God created us for. It wasn't just husband and wife. It was family and family and everybody together gathering. Okay. P- um, Paul said the tribes gathered together. The second thing is we see that the church of God, the second thing about the house of the Lord is a place of gathering. It's a place of gathering. The third thing, let's move on. Psalm 122 verse 4, the verse 4, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Notice it says to the testimony of Israel. What's the testimony of Israel? The testimony of Israel, church, is talking about this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. What's the Ark of the Covenant? Well, it's a box laid, overlaid with gold, and it's got two cherubs on top. But in it is um, the, the, the rod that Aaron had that budded, and we won't go there, but just believe me. And the second thing was the fragments of the Ten Commandments. But it was, the, it, it, it was the manifest, it represented the manifest presence of God. It was kept in the Holy of Holies of the temple. And God's presence would come down and meet with the priest who went into that place behind this big thick curtain. The priest would go in, presence of God would come down, you know, and so on, so on, and so on. So the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. Um, um, so we've got to see the third thing about the house of God is we should be one of the places of His presence. You should be one of the places of His presence. It's not the building, it's us as we gather. We're the temple of God, the place of His presence. So the ark was placed in the center of the uh, Israeli camp when they're in the desert, and that represented the manifest presence of God. But then David eventually brought it into Jerusalem. And uh, David didn't wait for the ark of the covenant as it was being brought in on the poles, on the, on the shoulders of the priest. He went out to meet it. He put on an ephod, or should I say he had an ephod on. Now, I'm not quite sure what an ephod is, but I think it's the equivalent of Speedos. Just saying, I think it is. Um, don't get that picture, but he danced with all his might because of his passion about God's presence coming into the, in the temple, uh, into Jerusalem. He was excited. The presence of God was coming back into Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant was being brought back. Uh, we used to sing a song, I'll dance like David danced. I, I kind of think, probably not. Because to flow, throw off all clothing and, and just to wear your speedos in church mightn't be culturally too exciting or correct. Would you agree? But anyway, um, that's what David was passionate about. And of course, David's wife, Michael, got really upset with her husband. Oh, you look so... All the young women were whistling at you, you know. That's not exactly what... But, you know, they were looking at him. And she got jealous, blah, blah, blah. So David writes this psalm and he says, I was glad when they got to the house of the Lord because of the testimony of Israel. In other words, the presence of God. The house of God should be a place of where there is the presence of God. Your life can be a place where the presence of God dwells. Um, and sometimes in regards to even in the life of this church, a- as I've been here, some people will come up to me and uh, they'll say, um, you know, wh- why do I cry in the worship time? I say, probably for the same reason I do. The presence of God. And sometimes I think I come in here and it's like, 
And not that it can't happen at home, but I come in here and they just start to worship and weep. And I just think sometimes lifts the, God lifts the issue. He lifts the struggles. And sometimes there's tears involved in that. And nothing wrong with that. Okay? Uh, the presence of God just does that. And, and you know, you, you just go away feeling, uh, sensing a little bit more light, a little bit more joy, hey? Uh, are you there this morning, church? Um, is it, you know... This is be the place. Um, it's the presence of God. Uh, th- this should be the place of God's healing, uh, deliverance, the prophetic flow, His presence, touching of lives, and the ministering to hearts. Uh, now, that can happen in your own quiet time, mind you. Uh, that's a good place. I find that often happens there too. But I do know when the corporate group of people come together, the presence of God. So David was glad to go up. Here's the last thing we're going to finish with this morning, the thing about the house of the Lord. Uh, Psalm 122.4, it just says, uh, tribes go up uh, to the testimony of Israel to give what? To give thanks to the name of the Lord. The fourth thing is the house of God should be a place of gratitude. Your life should be a place of gratitude. The Bible says in Psalm 100 verse 4, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and what? Bless his name. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Talking about the posture of the Jewish people as they entered the temple area. They'd be, I don't know exactly, but they would be thankful. Maybe it was raised hands as they entered through the outer court. And they said, thank you, God. We just give you thanks. We give you thanks for your provision. We give you thanks for your blessing. We give you thanks for keeping us in the desert alive. We thank you for bringing us out. Whatever it was, they'd be giving thanks to God. And that was their posture. I think we need the same posture, don't we? I think we need that posture of thanksgiving in our life. Understand it's good to, you know... um, Continually, I think, give him thanks. Do you know, uh, I'm very aware in a modern society, we have elevated complaining. We've elevated complaining. We, have, um, we see complaint boxes at, at the uh, doors of, um, you know, uh, franchises. You know, you can make a comment, you know, whether you're happy about it or you're bad about it. You know, if you book online for accommodation for a booking agency, they'll give you an email that says, uh, please give us your information about what you thought of the accommodation. And you're allowed to say, oh, good or bad or whatever. Now, uh, look, I know, please, uh, I understand it's good to have feedback, isn't it? But what we need to be careful of is of a, in this kind of culture is that we don't live in this life and we don't breathe a culture of entitlement. Entitlement. You know what entitlement is? Where I deserve my rights. I deserve every motel room to be perfect. I deserve, I deserve the church of God to be perfect. I deserve the pastor to preach on point every Sunday. I deserve the worship team to be amazing every Sunday. Now, I'm not giving excuses. I'm just saying that sometimes we, sometimes can have that. Behind that entitlement attitude is everything, everybody owes me something. And it's, and it's a bit like respect. If you have to demand respect, it's not really respect. Because respect is earned, not demand. Entitlement is earned, and it should never be demanded or assumed. Okay, so what we need to do is have an attitude of gratitude. I tell you what, attitude of gratitude destroys the attitude of entitlement. I deserve it. It's my rights. Folks, I've got no rights. You've got no rights, really. And when you have that attitude, you get all the rights in the world. But that's uh, the truth. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. People have been talking about end times lately. Uh, and I understand, and I don't know. Is it, uh, it's getting closer. Jesus' return. 
but Paul actually gives us a list of things that will come with the end times. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 and 2, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, listen to this, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. So he said, one of the signs of the end times is unthankfulness. So Paul is saying, being unthankful is countercultural to God's kingdom. It's countercultural to being unthankful. Besides that, to live a life where you have no thankfulness, to be honest, is quite soul-destroying. It's soul-destroying. Where thankfulness is soul-uplifting. Soul to live a life of no appreciation, where every good thing that happens to you is what I deserve anyway. And every bad thing um, happens to me is an opportunity for, not for, for revenge or complaint. It, it makes your heart sick to live that way. It makes your heart sick. Thankfulness breaks the chains of that kind of attitude. Thankfulness. I'm just thankful today. I'm just thankful. You know, last week I was with my son Jeremiah and we're um, scootering through a park. He's got his little scooter. I've got my scooter. Um, I lent a scooter. Yep, I can still scooter. Uh, and we were going for it. He's leading the way. And there was a part, part of the pl- a park that had a sign, Magpies. Don't go here. So when we went through that section, we did, but we went together and we just looked out for magpies. No magpies attacked us. So we came back around and we're in the play area where there's 20 other kids. Jeremiah's got his bike helmet on. He's literally just from here to Sandy and Malcolm away. And a magpie, I mean, psycho magpie, (laughs) drops from a branch three meters above him, comes down, whips under his helmet and attacks him. And leaves a uh, scratch across his, um, a 30 millimeter scratch across from his lip to his cheek with claw marks. And blood is flowing a little bit. And Jeremiah, is, is his initial reaction was uh, crying. And then he says, that naughty bird. I said, it's going to strangle the thing. <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> anyway. I'm and I had to, and I started thinking, there is 20 other kids within 20 meters. Why do you attack him? Mind you, that's not a good thought because I don't want the bird to attack anybody. But anyway, in my self-centered way, attack another kid, not my, not mine. And the second thought was, I'm just, you know, you didn't even, you didn't even make a sound. You just, you just dropped. Why has it happened to Jeremiah? And then I had this thought within about two minutes of that attitude. I had this thought, you know what? I'm glad that it, it didn't hit the intended target because magpies know to go for your eyes if they get an opportunity. And just imagine, I could have been sitting in an emergency ward with a severe eye injury to a little three-year-old boy, but instead I was just mopping up a little bit of blood and a scratch on the cheek. And so I said, well, God, thank you. <laughs> thank you, God. <laughs> There's something about this I'm going to be thankful. And I was thankful. And I said, praise you, God, that it's just a scratch. And it's not an eye. And praise you, God, that it happened to us because, you know what, I got the opportunity to praise you anyway out of this. And it just changed my attitude. It just changed my thoughts. Um, and, you know, I want gratitude um, is a part of God's house. It's a part of, needs to be a part of your life. When life throws a curveball... Can you still count your blessings? Can you still count your blessings? You know, you know, when we go to the house of the Lord, 
You can say, well, I'm going to go to the house of the Lord and give him thanks for all the bad stuff. But you know, when everything's going really well, can you still come to the house of God and give him thanks anyway? You say, well, I don't have to go to the house of God because you know what? Everything's going well. That's like saying, you know, uh, God's my spare tire and uh, I'll just use him when I need him. No, give him thanks always. Give him thanks always. So church this morning, the church should be a place of joy. Your place, your life, God wants to make a place. He wants to dwell in your, make your place of joy. He, it should be a place of gathering, a place of his presence, a place of gratitude. And you know what? Those are the four healthiest things that you can do for your life personally. You think about it, a place of joy, have joy in your life. It makes far better a life than a place of grumbling. But what about a place of relationship where you connect and gather in corporate worship? It does, it's a pillar in your life, I believe. His presence is a pillar in your life. We need His presence. I don't just need the fake thing. I don't just need a good feeling. I need the presence of the Lord in my life. It makes changes. And then, of course, gratitude in our lives. Our lives go so much better if we do that. Can we stand this morning as the team come? And we're going to just finish with one song today. The presence the God that we serve. Thank you this morning. David said, I was glad. <laughs> I was excited when they said, we're going to go and be together and corporately worship our God. Go to the house of God. Because there's joy there. There's, his Thanksgiving can be there. His presence, the gathering of other people can be there. You know, it's before we worship today. I'm, I'm very aware uh, of the reality of just one struggle after another. Come on, how about if for a moment you say, we just give God those struggles today, those situations today. Jesus came and died on the cross so that we could be for, um, not only forgiven, but the things that happen in our life can be healed and can be dealt with and the, and the Holy Spirit can start to minister. And I believe He wants to do that today, today. You know what? My relationship issue um, was not just for me. There's someone today who's having a relationship issue. And it's a pain in your heart. Uh, this is just a prophetic thought today, word to someone today. And it's a real pain in your heart, this relationship struggle. And God would say that, you know what, He wants to restore that. But it's just going to take you start to just to look up, stop looking at the person and the problem and start to look up and say, God, I praise you. I start to thank you and let Him. And as you do that, it's amazing how forgiveness will flow. And there'll be a reinstating of that, that relationship that has pained you for so many, maybe years, I think, that God would just say to you today. Um, someone today, in relation to, um, uh, you know, a circumstance that's happened, and uh, it's afflicted your body, and you're a bit angry, you think, why, God, would that happen? Why, God, would that happen to me? Why is my body suffering? But you know what God would say, would you not look up today? Would you not start to give Him praise? Would you not find that there is a rose in the midst of the desert moment? There is a good thing that God wants to do through it. I don't know what that may be, but God would just challenge you today. Because sometimes it's easy to complain. And you know what? If there's pain involved in your body, I appreciate and respect that today. But God would say, why don't you lift your voice to Him in praise? Whoever that may be, there's something, uh, maybe a permanent injury that's not so much welcomed in your life. And God would challenge you today. How about today, we worship Him just one more time. Come on, worship Him one more time today. Mm. You know, as, just before we do, is there any, if, if you just know, 
Uh, I'd just love to pray today, Holy Spirit, to work in hearts and lives. If there's a struggle, if there's a circumstance you want to give to Him, situation, why don't you be bold today? Don't just stand there and say, oh, God knows my problem. Now, why don't you lift your hand to Him and say, God, it's yours again. Maybe you don't, you know, oh, it's hard to, God, I don't want to give it to Him. I want to hold it. I want to nurture it. Oh, it's time to release it. Time to release Why don't you lift your hand and we just pray this morning, if that's you. Lift your hand as we just close our eyes and, and just say, God, here it is. I'm going to pray. Come on. People here today. Father, today, I thank you that you're a God that's not the God of David's time. You're the God of the today and tomorrow as well. And as you delivered even the Jewish people out of slavery, you want to deliver us out of the circumstances that want to come and crowd our minds, infiltrate our heart and create um, stress and anxiety. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you those things today. We hand over those by faith. We believe that you can work in the midst of them, that you can change circumstances for, your, for the better, that, God, you can deliver people from pain and heartache. Father, that you can minister to broken bodies today. Father, God, that you can deliver minds that are so caught up in stress today. Father, I thank you. You can do all these things. We believe for that right now. There's a miracle here right now. I thank you, and in this we would agree. And everyone said... Amen. Come on, let's worship Him and just lift our hearts and voices one more time, church. And some may say it's hopeless. They must have never met my God. And some may say 